What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Speaker McCarthy taking a victory lap after the debt ceiling and spending bill passed the House. Of course, a moment to breathe here in what's been a major leadership test for the speaker. And that's where we begin a special conversation I always look forward to with Bloomberg's David Weston and Carly Fiorina, founder and chair of Carly Fiorina Enterprises and unlocking potential former Hewlett Packard CEO, of course, former Republican presidential candidate. We come together every couple of weeks here on Bloomberg Sound On to share ideas, remembering David and Carly's great conversations over the years here on Bloomberg Radio. So welcome to both of you, Carly and David, and thanks for being here. We have a couple of things to discuss today. Carly, I'm going to start with you on this day after the vote. Uh, did this successful vote strengthen Kevin McCarthy's hand within his own caucus? Well, good afternoon, Joe. Great to be with you and David again. And yes, I think the answer is clearly it strengthened him. You know, this was really about Kevin McCarthy's ability to negotiate with his own party. Uh, he said that this bill gave him an opportunity to negotiate with Joe Biden. We will see. But uh, I think the fact that he could cobble this together and hold it together um, does strengthen his position. Now, of course, as we all know, that what was passed is dead on arrival. So now the real negotiation will have to begin. Yep. But he clearly is better off than if it had failed. Carla, I'm curious about your word about position. Uh, how much of this is positioning and how much of this is substance? I mean, sooner or later, we got to pay our bills here. And there's a lot of positioning going on. I, I wonder, as a corporate leader, uh, did you get nervous when you were doing it for the principle of the thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, yes, so much of this is posturing. And to your point, the debt ceiling is always about money that's already been spent not money that's going to be spent. And so we go through this every time. Uh, I find it, of course, interesting that Republicans managed to raise the debt ceiling without any negotiations or conditions during the Trump era. So this is all about politics. And um, it's frustrating that this happens with something that's so important. However, there is one thing that I think we should remember from business, and that is that a successful negotiation requires a win-win. Never a win-lose, always a win-win. So now, both Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden, I think, are going to have to sit down and think about what is an acceptable win for the other side. Uh, clearly, no one wants to have to revisit this in the middle of an election year. Clearly, Biden will never accept a rollback of a legislative agenda that's already passed. Maybe they can come to agreement about how to address spending that hasn't yet happened. I don't know. But while we so often think about politics as win-lose, negotiations are always win-win. 
So I hope Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden's teams are thinking about what's a win for the other side as the debt ceiling approaches. Yeah. Carly, to what extent does uh, corporate America play a role in lighting a fire here? You know, it's not lost on, on me that Kevin McCarthy went to the New York Stock Exchange a couple of weeks ago to try to turn people's attention to what was going on here. And the markets seem to be whistling past the graveyard. And I know it's not a CEO's job to prod the president or the Speaker of the House. But should there be a letter written uh, by the leaders of, of Fortune 500 companies to say, hey, guys, uh, we need you to get together here? Because, of course, these are major donors as well and play a big role in, in the way elections pan out here in America. Yes, absolutely. However, I think one of the reasons... CEO and Wall Street is sort of taking a ho-hum attitude right now is because we always go through this. <laughs> we always go through it. God knows. Uh, when we have split government. Um, again, when Trump was president and he had the House and the Senate, there wasn't this kind of histrionic debate. But every time we've had split government, there's been great drama and great rhetoric back and forth. And somehow we always manage to get this done. And so I think People are looking to history and saying we're likely to get it done. On the other hand, uh, Kevin McCarthy clearly has an unruly caucus. Uh, you know, there are only a handful of members that could think a deal. There is an election season coming up. And so, uh, as I say, I hope McCarthy and, and uh, Biden are thinking about what a possible win is for the other side. But I wouldn't expect the business community to get two exercise for another month or so. Uh, Carly, I wonder, there's a lot of talk here in the United States about how this makes us look in the eyes of the world. I wonder, as a corporate leader, when you're running HP, does it affect you how the rest of the world thinks about it? As you do business around the world, if the rest of the world thinks, boy, they can't get their act together, does it make it harder to do business? Or do they say, no, we know Washington's different. We don't pay much attention to Capitol Hill. Well, you know, I think, honestly, David, it's a little bit of both. Um, On the one hand, uh, customers are buying from a company and they assess its products and its management. On the other hand, when we do look like we can't get our act together, I do think customers are more willing to look at other alternatives. After all, every industry is global now. And I'll give you an example of that. I, I can remember being in Europe and uh, something terribly embarrassing was going on in the U.S. at the time. You remember hanging chads. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, a whole set of very um, important customers were saying, you know, we just don't expect this out of America. And what I felt at the time and since when I've been in elsewhere and the U.S. has been looking embarrassing is it causes customers to pause and to look around and to say, you know, maybe something unexpected can happen. In the end, I think it is the strength of the product and the quality of the personnel. But there's no question that politics influences people's perceptions. One of the other big stories, uh, David and Carly, that we've been uh, talking about this week is uh, the arrival 
at least for some of us, of AI in a way that's changing the way leaders look at business and the way corporations are considering the issue of productivity when you consider the earnings that we've had this week from Microsoft, from Google, the conversations that are being had with NVIDIA. And David, a lot of CEOs around the country, not just tech, but even service companies thinking about AI and the way that it might be able to increase productivity against the great unknown of what this all leads to uh, in a fascinating conversation with some real risks in the air around it. Indeed, Joe. It strikes me that this is the week of big tech earnings, and the earnings have been fairly encouraging thus far. And yet, all anybody wants to talk about is generative EI, not what happened last quarter, but what's going to happen three years from now, five years from now. And as you say, Joe, the question is not just what it means for tech companies, but what it means more generally. And I'm curious, Carly, if you were back running HP or any other very large publicly traded company, how would you be addressing generative AI, its potential for upside, also maybe some of the risks? Well, first, I think one of the reasons people are so excited about it across Wall Street beyond tech is because clearly one of the promises of AI that we're now starting to see is it drives higher revenues at lower costs. And who doesn't like that in business? And I think we're going to see more and more of that. On the other hand, I think what we also, I hope, understand is that AI comes with great peril. And to me, one of the perils was highlighted in Meta's earnings report. Mark Zuckerberg makes a series of statements about their earnings. And what he said was that they are using generative AI to push to their users um, content that AI has figured out they will like. Okay, now that drives revenue at reduced costs. But one of the things we know about social media is that it has narrowed everyone's perspective and it has divided us further because what gets pushed to you is what you already agree with, what you already like, or what's very controversial and therefore very interesting. Hmm. So what AI is doing is pushing ever more of that towards everyone. Does it drive revenue at lower cost? Yes. Does it narrow our perspective and divide us further? Yes. And may I say, being chair of Colonial Williamsburg, the largest living museum in the world, what I worry about now and what we are starting to study is, you know, you can have a conversation with Thomas Jefferson on AI today. However, between 50 and 60 percent of everything Thomas Jefferson tells you is wrong. So now think about that as we hurdle towards our nation's 250th anniversary in 2026. This is a really important perspective, Carly, and I thank you for it. The idea of narrowing perspective, not so much worrying about Skynet and, and you know, the, the robots coming to get us here, but narrowing perspective and making that echo chamber louder that has always already created such a toxic space, particularly for young Americans. That, that's, that sounds like a real worry as we look at where we are five or ten years down the road in terms of just our social discourse. Yes, I think it is a real worry. And now I want to link it to something else that happened in the U- in the UK with Microvision and their uh, Microsoft and their acquisition of Activision. I think one of the things that has happened here is technology companies have lost people's trust in very important ways. Technology companies promised us that they were on top of all of the perils of social media. They 
told us over and over again about all the promise of social media, and there is a lot. But they have always downplayed the peril. They've told us they had it handled. They understood how to deal with all this. And it turns out not so much. And I think what's happening is technology companies are saying the same thing about AI. No, 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 trust it. Trust us. We got this. And I think regulators are saying, you know, it's pretty clear they don't have it all figured out. And so what I think that's going to do is cause regulators and politicians everywhere to be less likely to just say yes. And so that's a new era for technology companies. And I think they have to think about it because trust once squandered is very hard to regain. And finally, Carly, I'd like to bring it back to all of us doing our jobs and talk about termites. You you write a weekly newsletter for LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, uh, Leadership Matters, and this week it's on perspective pursuit, and you bring us back to termites, something you and I have talked about in the past. It's fascinating what termites do. But to connect it with AI, I wonder whether AI has the potential to make us all pick up our heads, look around us, and get a little bit of a different perspective, which is what you write about this week. Well, let's hope, yes, it's... Does it have the potential to do that? Yes. I use the example of Thomas Jefferson. That's scary. On the other hand, AI has the opportunity to make history far more engaging. It has the opportunity to make uh, our lives far more productive. Absolutely right. On the other hand, the modern day equivalent of the termite uh, burrow is the device in our hand. We put our heads down and we go into our rabbit hole and we talk to the people who agree with us and we look at the stuff we already like. And so if we're not careful, and by the way, our t device in our hand is all about the here and now. It's immediate, it's intensive, it's intrusive. And all of that makes it harder for people to lift their heads, look around, take a pause and think. And so while there is great promise in AI, I do think there is peril. And I think CEOs everywhere, thoughtful citizens everywhere, need to uh, really pay attention to how we make sure that we deal with some of the perils, which are real and which social media demonstrates to us and has been demonstrating over the last decade for sure. What a great conversation. Carly, thank you so much for sharing that, as always. Carly Fiorina, founder and chair of Carly Fiorina Enterprises and Unlocking Potential, along with our very own David Weston joining us from Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York. David Carly, thank you for a great talk. And always looking forward to the next one here on Bloomberg Radio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.